the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Am I here? Am I there? Yes, I'm here. Welcome into Southern California Live on a Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday, October 5th. I'm Bob Lapine. Nice to have you along this afternoon. Uh, I came to faith. I became a Christian in the late 1970s. And I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. And spiritually in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, there were two dominant influences in the community at the time. One of them was Oral Roberts, who had built a university and was, he was well known. He he was influential over the community. Lots of ORU graduates who were populating churches, ORU students who were populating churches. When you'd get together for a concert, it was at the Maybe Center on the campus at ORU. And and so it was it was dominant. And then across town in Broken Arrow was the Rama Bible Training Center run by Kenneth Hagan. And Kenneth Hagan was also training pastors and Bible teachers with what has become known as the Word of Faith doc- doctrine, the the idea that we have creative power in our speech. We some have referred to it as name it and claim it. But but central to both Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagin was the idea that the Bible teaches, according to them, that healing is one of the things that God has given us in the atonement. That if you are in Christ, God has given you perfect health for, for a lifetime. And all you have to do is, by faith, appropriate what has been given to you as a gift with your salvation. By his stripes we are healed is taken to mean that our physical healing is insured. And and one of the names of God from the Old Testament is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Well, both theologically and experientially, there there are problems with that doctrine, that teaching. And over the years, I began to see those problems emerge. I remember hearing about it as a new Christian and thinking, is this true? And what does the Bible say? I'd hear the verses. I'd look them up. I had to dig. I had to study. I had to to, to get in and say, what what's real here? What's true here? And, and my experience has been the experience of a lot of Christians who have been exposed to this kind of ideology, this kind of thinking throughout their Christian lives. And one of them is joining us as a guest today. His story is somewhat unique in this perspective, and I'm going to let him share some of that with us. Uh, He has just finished a book, just written a book called More Than a Healer, not the Jesus you want, but the Jesus you need, which is out this week it's available. In fact, it's the number one new release in Jesus, the Gospels, and Acts on Amazon right now. 
His name is Kosti Hinn, and he's joining us on Southern California Live here on KKLA. Kosti, it's good to have you online with us today. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you for having me. And you are actually in Southern California. Uh, you, you live in Arizona now, but you're back in, in Southern California for a few days teaching and, and uh, preaching at Master's Seminary, Master's College. Is that right? Yes. Yesterday I was at the university for the college students there, and then today at the seminary, and then tomorrow one more time for the university students. So we're having fun as a family, getting to do some ministry, and it's a joy to be with you on today here. Well, and I want to get into your story and get into your book, but I'm going to take a little detour to start off with because I I was following you, not not this past weekend, but the weekend before. You, you were in a uh, conference, helped lead a conference in Arizona about dating, and I thought, man, I wish I could, not, not that I'm in my dating years anymore, but I wish I could be a fly on the wall because, in you know, in the last couple of years, the whole idea of addressing the subject of dating and purity and how this should work, it's kind of like, no, we're just going to be quiet about that. I mean, Josh Harris tried it, and then he, look what happened. So we, we just need to be quiet. But you weren't being quiet about it. T- tell everybody about the conference and what brought it about and how many were there and, and what was the thesis? Yeah, we did it actually in Southern California. One of our partner churches was gracious enough to host. We had a few hundred college young adult, next-gen students there, young adults. We had some young marrieds as well. And the driver for it was our ministry for the gospel, which is a parachurch organization we started to do online resources for the next generation, like videos and teaching and blogging, YouTube videos. We're on TikTok and Instagram as well is to put out sound doctrine for everyday people. And one of our goals was not to offer a ton of opinion or try to be clever, like sort of the the Josh Harris era where, you know, I kiss dating goodbye and and try to be clever. We just figured, hey, one of the greatest resources that ever blessed a generation, especially for me when I was was playing baseball in college for Dallas Baptist University, and our coach took us through a series by Tommy Nelson. I don't know if you remember it, but— He's from Denton Bible Church. He did this series. He exposited Song of Solomon. And we thought, why don't we just go back to the Bible? Let's walk an entire new generation through attraction, through dating courtship, through conflict, through biblical intimacy, and let's give them not our opinion and not some clever new idea to redefine dating or or make it cool. Let's just give them God's Word and offer the next generation something. So it was a hit. We, we didn't know how it would be received, and we produced it professionally as well, not only in person there, but online. We're going to be putting it out for free on YouTube through For the Gospel, our online resource ministry, and you can find more about that at forthegospel.org. So this is something that, coming up, people could watch on their own, or churches could decide to do their own conference if they wanted to. Totally, yeah. We we um, I partnered with a wonderful pastor friend of mine who pastors Mission Bible Church down in Costa Mesa, and he's actually the pastor who discipled me for several years, and is a local guy. He loves the Lord. He's all about the local church, and I I asked him uh, if he'd be willing to to help out a generation. He's about seven years older than me. I'm 36. And he was willing, and we had a few others jump in to help, and we had our own band who did a great job, and it was a hit. So we just want to serve churches and serve the next generation with doctrinally sound resources. And one of the things, too, that we've put an emphasis on is creativity, because 
people probably see this online a lot. Why is it that all the some of the false teachers or some of the some of the more shady ministries have all the best technology and all the best <laughs> presentation? We thought, well, why don't we get some really solid people who are creative and love excellence to help us out? And so it's sound doctrine. We're firm in theological truth, but we also want to present it in a way that looks excellent and can draw the eye of a generation to truth that's unchanging. Costi, there are a lot of people your age who grew up in evangelicalism who now talk about the the purity culture that their parents were promoting and teaching and the conferences they went to, and they're saying, this damaged me, and I, uh, yeah. I, have, I have scars from this. Is, is that legit? Well, it is, because in that era, and I went through some of it too, one of the things I remember was something we addressed at the conference, and it damaged a lot of people, even in marriage. They were told, hey, if you save yourself, and if you remain a virgin, and you do this, and you do that, and you do this, then when you get married, and they they front-loaded all these promises. And some of those promises, Bob, became abusive and put people in counseling. In other words, one thing we're, we talked about to our, our group, and I've dealt with as a pastor, is people come into marriage and say, I was, we were told, you know, once you get married, you just do whatever you want. And it's sort of this free-for-all, and it becomes a little bit irreverent. And there are women who express discomfort to that or said, well, we have different boundaries, or what we are comfortable with um, is something different than maybe what someone else is comfortable with or addressed, even in some of the sermons. And I think where we went wrong is we tried too hard to make Song of Solomon cool a generation past. We got a little bit too crude, a little bit vulgar. It was a pushback against conservatism and trying to be too edgy. And when you go that that way, you begin to take God's Word and turn it into sensuality and salacious material to try to get people's attention and make it sound cool. The other thing you do is you begin to breach the marital union where people are called by God to come together in marital union, and then each couple must pray. And each couple must assess Scripture, and each couple needs to be bonded in what their boundaries are and their own convictions. We need to treat women like daughters of the king, uh, not like, you know, slaves to our own lustful desires. And since we saved it, now we got married, and now we get to do whatever we want. We really need to continue to honor the marriage bed, honor our spouse, not even before only we get married, but long after and I do think some of purity culture also added in an effort to clever things that weren't very helpful, putting a lot of man-made, man-centered processes into a dating and courtship. And so we just tried to do our best to stick to Scripture, offer some basic logic and reasoning and application. And by God's grace, it landed, and we're praying we'll see some fruit. So this is going to be on the website. Folks can go to forthegospel.org, and just when it's available, you'll let us know. Yes, it'll be on our YouTube channel, and we'll blast social media on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. Right now, our editors are working on it, so I'd give it about four to five more weeks, and then we'll be able to launch that for everybody for free. Great. All right, let's back up, because not everybody knows your story, and your story is integral to the book that you've just written. So can you give us the five-minute version of uh, life as Costi Hinn in your teenage years? 
Yes, I grew up in the center of the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement. My uncle is Benny Hinn, and that'll fill in a lot of gaps for people and even shorten the storyline. Um, I traveled with my family's ministry. I grew up riding the coattails of it, and then eventually I worked for my uncle. And I've always described the ministry circle that I was in as a hybrid between the royal family and the mafia, the wealth and the lavish aura, if you will, of the royal family, and then the the tight-lipped loyalty of the mafia. And you never spoke against family, even if you saw things that were shady or dishonest. The rule was, do not touch the Lord's anointed, which mm-hmm. we would take that from the Bible and say, that means you never talk about a man of God, you never speak against anybody, and you just roll with it. And so I grew up in that culture. I had questions. I call those moments cracks in the dam, so to speak, where I would see something that wasn't real or see something that didn't happen, hear a prophecy that was made that never came true, uh, certain business dealings and what have you. And I would see that this was wrong and not in the Bible, but I would always justify it saying, you know, well, my family's so loving and they're, they're such incredible people that they would never do that. That's probably just my own issue or even the best of men are men at best, you know, that kind of thing. And, and God's going to cover that. And so I, I worked through all of that. By the time I got to my college years, I end up in God's providence playing baseball at Dallas Baptist University. Now, we always thought the Baptists were dead people, you know, dead churches, powerless. And the real power was, you do miracles, we can do signs and wonders, we speak in tongues as evidence of salvation, and we've got all the power. Even though the Baptists preach a solid word, we would say, they're dead, they don't believe or have the Holy Spirit. So I go to this Baptist school, though, just to play baseball. And I roll onto campus having traveled the last two years of my life on a Gulfstream jet right out of John Wayne Airport here in Southern California. Um, I've stayed in the nicest hotels in the world, including the Burj Al Arab, the Royal Suite in Dubai, worth $25,000 a night for a, a, a stay. And I've lived it up, lived the dream, like LeBron James style living, but as a, a minister. And I end up at this Baptist school to play baseball. I was about 21 years old by the time I got there. I'd taken a couple of years off school. And I drive a Hummer. I've got like a Breitling limited edition $10,000 watch, just living the high life. And those Baptists are, were kind. They were loving. They were gracious to me. And one day my coach brings up the sovereignty of God as a way to explain that God's in control of our future draft by scouts, all of it. And he says, Proverbs 21.1 says, the heart of a king is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns them wherever he wishes. God is sovereign, guys. Just go out and play baseball, have fun. God will take care of the rest. He determines the future. And I remember thinking, this guy's crazy. What do you mean God is sovereign and he's in control? I'm the guy with the Hummer in the parking lot. I got an expensive watch. This guy drives a, you know, white Toyota Camry. He's a Baptist. He don't know what I'm talking about. He doesn't know how to get God to do anything. I can name it and claim it. I can speak it by faith. And so sovereignty really confused me that God uh, was ever in control of much. It was more that I rub him right like a magic genie, and he does what I want. So that was a huge moment, though, because later on, I meet a gal after graduating, She's from Rancho Cucamonga, California. She's now my wife, and 
the mother of our four beautiful children. But at the time, she was just a blue-collar gal working hard, putting herself through college at Azusa Pacific University, learning about God. And she had all sorts of interesting questions about the way that my family and I taught the Bible and did ministry and lived. So that was another thing where the gentle, loving questions of my future spouse did it. And then later on, we end up at a church in Southern California through a series of events that would be much too long to describe now, so I'll fast track it. And the pastor at that church had me preach, and I was studying and preaching on healing. And I was preaching John 5, through 1 through, John 5, 1 through 17, the healing at the Pool of Bethesda, and I figured I'm a hen. I could preach on healing in my sleep. I got this thing nailed. So I preach, and I, before I preach, I study, and I'm observing the text, and I see Jesus heals one man out of a multitude. He heals him immediately, and that the man didn't even know who Jesus was. Well, Bob, that messed me up because I started thinking, well, he only healed one. I always thought it's God's will to heal everybody. And I saw this passage with new eyes. And, of course, now I realize what the Holy Spirit was doing the whole time. But in the moment, I'm thinking, has this always been here? Then he heals him immediately. There's no fanfare, no music, no white suit, no stadium, no offering, no nothing. He just heals him immediately. Then the man doesn't even know who Jesus was, and that one messed me up. I thought, well, how did he get healed if he didn't know who Jesus was? He had to have enough faith to get healed. You always have to have enough faith to get your healing. This guy didn't even know who Jesus was. Well, if he didn't know who Jesus was, he couldn't have had faith in Jesus. So how in the world did he get healed? So my pastor at the time had thrown me a commentary. I hadn't used one much in my life, didn't even know really what they were. And he said, hey, this, this thing will keep the train on the tracks for you. Check it out. It's by some guy named John MacArthur. I'm like, I don't know who John MacArthur is. I'll try to check this commentary out. And in that section of the commentary, he said, this is an example of God's sovereign power and Jesus's sovereign power in healing. The man did nothing to deserve healing. He had no merits of his own. Jesus simply healed him out of his love, compassion, and sovereign, there's that word, power. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's that sovereignty again. What is this? And MacArthur then kind of goes off in that section, and he says, the cruelest lie of faith healers today is that the people they fail to heal are guilty of negative confession and unbelief and on and on and on. And by this time, Bob, I start crying. Everything makes sense. I didn't know anything about Bible teachers on the radio or this guy or that guy or who even MacArthur was or whatever else was. I just knew that in that particular section at that moment, everything he wrote described the way I lived, the way I taught, what we believed, my entire family's theology. And so I repented, not even kidding, in an office in Southern California as a pastor, repented of my sin, repented of preaching a gospel that was all about health, wealth, and happiness and healing, repented of turning God into a magic genie. I repented of teaching that you could get healed if you pay enough money. And I vowed to the Lord I would preach the true gospel. I went and told my pastor right away what happened. Uh, I lost my title, became a pastor in training, went to seminary, uh, was discipled for four years by my pastor in, in literal silence, just learning and serving at our church. And as the years went on, this was almost 10 years ago now, as the years went on, I began to get asked questions. You know, what, 
what's with the last name Hinn, but you're kind of a Bible church guy. Um, and I would begin to tell the story, and one thing led to another, and I started just trying to help on the issue. But overall, I became a real pastor. I want to preach the real gospel, and God does heal. He's a mighty supernatural God, but he is, like my coach said and like the Bible describes, sovereign in that. We pray your will be done. And I got floored, literally, uh, in every way, shape, and form. And God has been so kind to let me get to pastor again and to get to preach the true gospel now as a converted pastor for real. And to write a book about healing called More Than a Healer. And it's not just about healing. It's about Jesus ministry. The book is out right now. I just have to ask you before we take a quick break, are you persona non grata with the the rest of the Hinn family at this point? <laughs> uh, it's, it's hit and miss. I've got a great relationship now with my parents again. We have good dialogue, spirited, loving dialogue, and experience a lot of peace and unity in the way we think now. They're, they're, they're far away, farther away from that world they were in. Um, with Uncle Benny, we, we're not on speaking terms, though. Every once in a while, I've sent them over a message and want him to know I love him. And none of this is ever a crusade against an individual or hate towards an individual. It's about the truth. It's about the gospel. And I want all of us together, even if we disagree on various non-essentials here and there, um, I want us all to agree on the gospel, and I want us all to walk together in truth. And so uh, it's hit or miss. There are interesting moments here and there still, but God's not done yet. Hmm. Costi Hinn is joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live here on KKLA. He's got a new book called More Than a Healer, not the Jesus you want, but the Jesus you need. And we're going to talk about how we should understand God's power and his sovereignty and his goodness as it relates to healing and to other issues. But we've got to take a quick time out. We will continue the conversation in just a minute. Stay with us. Back on Southern California Live. Tuesday afternoon, I'm Bob Lapine on KKLA 99.5 FM. We've got Costi Hinn joining us this afternoon. He's written a new book called More Than a Healer, Not the Jesus You Want, But the Jesus You Need. It's just out now. And Costi, part of the the story that bleeds into this book is... uh, the story of the diagnosis that you received about your son's cancer. Tell us about that. Yeah, we were uh, enjoying life and ministry, preaching the gospel, serving the Lord, and having a blast in our local church for uh, several years, having babies. And the Lord was kind to us to provide uh, our oldest son, who's seven, our, our daughter, who's five, and then a new a new baby, um, our son, Timothy, and about three months in to his life, he was. we found these red spots on his body. And I remember my wife saying, hey, should we get these biopsied? And, you know, normally I'm the kind of personality where, um, you know, if, if, if it's not bleeding out, we're kind of like, you know, stick a Band-Aid on it. We'll, we'll be all right. And right. I, just, I just remember thinking, you know, yeah, let's do it. This is different. This isn't, you know, a little owie, a little boo-boo, a little cut. These are these are dots that are growing in spots that are, we use the word maturing. They just looked interesting. So we biopsied. And one night she walked into the kitchen after the kids had gone down to bed. 
and she was crying. She had logged into our medical account and found the report. They were going to call us the next day anyway, I believe. And she had Googled what the words meant and she began crying and said, Timothy, uh, there's something wrong with Timothy. And the C word came out, the rare form of cancer. He had been diagnosed uh, with a rare form of cancer. They had told us it's, it's not curable, but it's treatable. Um, it, it could go bad. It could lead to leukemia. It, it may not. There were so many questions early on. There still are. But I remember uh, I sat down at the kitchen table. We were living in Irvine, California at the time. And she sat down on my lap. I just held her. She was weeping. I began to cry as well. And I didn't know what to say except these two phrases, Bob. I said to her, we weren't going to get out of this life unscathed, were we? And she just shook her head no. And um, and I just said one more thing to her. I said, we're now going to live what I've been preaching. And the reason I said that is because by that time, we had learned, based on the Bible, that from the Apostle Paul to Stephen, to Peter, James, John, to Jesus, the Old Testament, even Job, whether righteous, whether faithful, whether you're a preacher, a deacon, whether you are a church member, regardless of where we fall, quote-unquote, in the label we have in life or in the local body, it's not a matter of if we're going to go through a trial. It's just a matter of when. Every one of us are going to go through it. And we had been studying Scripture for some years at that point, realizing that it, you, nobody's immune. And so that was a moment I'll never forget. Now he's three years old, and Timothy's doing fine. He's where doctors want him to be. But I wrote this book and opened up with that story because I wanted people to get an idea in their mind that is ironclad, that Jesus is a healer. But when the healing doesn't come, or when trial hits your home, or when the faith healer's promise doesn't come true, well, guess what? You've got a Jesus that is so much more than just healing your body and giving you stuff and helping you get a new job or giving you a new baby. And believe me, all those things are good things, but they are not the great thing. The great thing is having Jesus and Jesus having you. And so uh, having gone through some of that, my prayer was that people would see if you have even nothing, but you have Jesus, you have everything, mm -hmm. no matter what you're going through. I remember coming across 2 Corinthians 12 as a young believer and really having to grapple with, okay, if, if the claim is that that uh, we will be spared from from physical infirmities, from, from these issues, what's the deal with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and his thorn in the flesh? That's an issue we've got to wrestle with, isn't it? It really is, because... Uh, unless we just don't want the Bible to speak or we want to, you know, scalpel some of those parts out, we've really got to face this beautiful reality. And I call it beautiful because God does great things in times of pain. And we see that where James 1, 2 through 4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Well, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce endurance, endurance has its result, and it actually makes us more mature. Last verse I'll bring up, too, Romans 5, Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. I always pose the question like this, Bob, would you and I not fire a baseball coach or football coach who didn't push us, 
and didn't make us a little sore or didn't challenge us, we would fire that individual and say, you're not pushing them hard enough. Would you ever go back to a trainer who made every workout easy and said, you're going to get all the results. Don't worry. Just keep eating what you want. Show up. Let's scroll on, you know, Instagram or Facebook during your workout session and watch TV. (laughs) Don't worry. Just being here. will do it. We would fire a trainer that didn't make us at least a little sore. Then why don't we have, that kind of perspective about God's work or even our preachers pressing in a little bit, making us sore, making us uncomfortable, uh, the Holy Spirit convicting us strongly, realizing that that's the best position to be in. Trials shaping us, suffering sanctifying us, and loving people in our life, putting truth in front of us that stretches us and then grows us. This is the Christian life. You know that we're talking to lots of people right now who, over the last 18 months, have had friends or loved ones who have been in ICU, been on ventilators, some who have passed. I have a a friend who spent 70 days in ICU and has reduced lung capacity today Mm. uh, after all of this. I mean, we've just been through a massive COVID crisis. And I I wonder what people whose theology has been shaped by the idea that healing is a part of the atonement, I wonder what they do with a pandemic. And and then I wonder what we ought to be thinking as believers uh, who who believe the Bible and trust the Bible. How do we navigate our way through this and what's the right perspective to have? So start with start with the people you used to hang out with how do they approach a pandemic? Do they just keep saying, well, brother, if you'll just have faith, you won't get COVID? Yeah. I First, one side of that answer is they'll usually keep up with the platitudes. The ones I used to say is, you know, don't you worry. Just like Job, God's going to give you double for your trouble. He's going to bless you after the burden. Uh, he's going to prosper you after the pain. All of those things are kind of fortune cookie one-liners that are meant to to just be a Band-Aid. Um, the issue, though, Bob, that we run into is biblical illiteracy. A lot of these people, including me when I was in that world, I read the Bible, but I didn't ever really ask questions about the Bible, nor did I ever fully interpret the Bible to the fullest extent that I would now. And another thing, I never used the Bible to interpret the Bible. So I just took whatever verse I wanted, and I named it and claimed it. So I could have pulled a verse, you know, from Jeremiah on how God's going to bless me. Two verses later could be on judgment. I'm never going there. I'm just living in this one (laughs) truth or this one element. Um, I would encourage you who are listening, if that's you, and maybe you've had some questions, you've thought, uh, you know, I, I I do wonder about this, but I don't want to become one of those haters or Bible thumpers. I don't want to just rail on everyone. I'm careful to, to, to go too far with that. Well, let me just encourage you. Go to God's Word and take it at face value. And you tell me in love, and I'll tell you in love, if we're naming and claiming healing and we're screaming at COVID, be gone in Jesus' name, and we're even declaring it gone, and it's not gone, and people are still in the hospital, and the healing isn't happening, could it be that that is the Holy Spirit working in your heart and your mind, and that God wants to teach you something? He wants to take you deeper and further into who He is, and He wants to show you all of Himself so that when trial comes, you don't have to be wondering, you don't have to be questioning, 
and you don't have to be getting sucked into the next fortune cookie one-liner hiding your pain, you can have real hope. My encouragement to people, Bob, would be to let's go deeper into the truth about who Jesus is, even the uncomfortable aspects, and watch him grow you like never before. Because it is in our suffering in the valley. I, I point people back all the time to Second Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says we're pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. And then he says we are... Uh, we are rejoicing. He says, these are light and momentary afflictions that are producing in us an, an eternal weight of glory. That's the, that's the eternal perspective on our temporal suffering, right? That's exactly right. And over and over and over again, we're encouraged by New Testament teaching to think of like the letter of First Peter. These people were not going to live their best life now. They were suffering they were being persecuted for being Christian. They weren't just experiencing Southern California rush hour traffic. That wasn't <laughs> the hardest part of their day. And believe me, it's, it's wild out here, different than Arizona. But they were going through it. And Peter kept, keeps pointing to one thing, the eternal perspective, that your life is a grain of sand now, but eternity is infinite, that you've got an inheritance and a blessing and all those things that a faith healer tells you you can have now, you have all that, and it's coming. God wants to work in you now. He wants to make you more like his son Jesus now, and he wants to show you his power, not in all your prosperity, even though God will certainly bless you. Some of you that are listening, he's blessed you with a great wealth, and that's all wonderful and a resource for you to use for the gospel and his glory. Yes, but Beyond all that, the greatest treasure and his greatest power is shown when you are weak, you are frail, you are broken, and you see his power on display. What does that do? It humbles us, making us go, wow, you are God, we are not. You are sovereign, we are not. You're in control, we're not. Glory to you, praise be to you, mighty God. And that is what God desires. He is about his own glory. And suffering, and that perspective reminds us, I am on this earth to glorify him no matter what. Costi Hinn is joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live here on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. Costi's just written a book called More Than a Healer. And we're going to continue the conversation. In fact, I want to talk to you about how we should pray for those who are sick. What's the right way to pray for people who are in the hospital today? We'll continue the conversation right after this. Stay with us. Southern California Live, KKLA 99.5 FM. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. I'm Bob Lapine. We're talking to Costi Hinn who has written a book called More Than a Healer, Not the Jesus You Want, But the Jesus You Need. The book is just out in the last week. And, Costi, I remember uh, talking with a pastor from Southern California years ago, uh, Ed Underwood. He was a pastor at the Church of the Open Door, and he had been critically ill in the hospital. In fact, he uh, he tells the story about having been... Um, he he was alert and aware, but he was unresponsive. So he knew 
that the elders from his church were in his hospital room and they were praying for him, but he could not respond to them. He, you know, he was mm-hmm. aware, but couldn't talk, couldn't respond. And he said, um, he said at one point, an older elder from the church came into the room and he said he threw himself across my body in in the hospital bed and just yep. cried out and said, Lord Jesus, heal our brother here. We need him. We're, we're desperate. We cry out to you. We ask for healing for his body. Mm. And, and Ed said, I remember laying there thinking, finally, somebody's here who's really praying for me. He said, the other elders were all, Lord, if it be your will, we, you know, we ask that you would, but we understand. It was kind of like they were hedging their bets in their prayers. And, mm-hmm. and I remember that story and I thought, well, on one level, I do want to acknowledge the sovereignty of God when I'm praying for those who are ill, but there's a good word to say, let's cry out the desires of our heart. David in the Psalms makes the desires of his heart very clear sometimes even when they conflict with uh, what he thinks God may want in the situation. Oh, absolutely. The, the begging and pleading of a child of God is good and right. It is allowed. Um, you know, everyone will have different personalities during times of suffering and, and near death and sickness. And so we, we don't necessarily do well to kind of force our way on anyone else. But I'll tell you this. Um, if my child was on their deathbed, I would plead with the Lord. I would fall to my knees. I would cry out to God. Uh, that is all well and good. I would reflect the, the Psalms of David in prayer. Uh, I, I would raise my voice, perhaps, and, and beg and plead with God. I would be that type of guy. And then I also want to be what those elders were as well, that Luke twenty two forty two mindset where Jesus says, if possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. He's referring to the cup of wrath he's about to drink. He's going to take the weight of all of our sin on his shoulders. He's going to the cross. His sweat drops are turning to blood. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if possible, let this cup pass from me. And then what does he say? not my will, but yours be done. And so even Jesus has the the audacity, it would seem, to say to the Father, if possible, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but yours be done. Obviously, we know Jesus in that moment, in his perfection and his perfect holiness as both man and God, is showing us something so beautiful. I think he's also given us a model for prayer, where just like the Lord's Prayer, we can say, your will be done. So I would encourage people, pray for healing. Do not fall into the rationalistic trap of, well, you know, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. I don't need to ask for it. And now we use God's sovereignty as a, a passive thing, where, oh, God's sovereign, he saves people, I don't need to evangelize. No, 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 no. God is sovereign in saving people, and who does he use? You and me. Jesus said in John 10, I have more sheep, I'm going to bring them. So God's going to save people. He's going to use you and I. We better be sharing that gospel, knowing that anybody is the next convert. Same thing with healing. God is sovereign in healing, but he'll use our prayers as a means to accomplish his will. So we want to be praying for that healing, and then if it doesn't happen, well, then we trust the will of God in that. And the Bible is full of examples of people continuing to serve and be a beacon of hope in the middle of their suffering. I think of a modern-day one 
example, Johnny Erickson Tata, who would certainly be in the category of somebody who's prayed for God to heal her and yet is still now some 50-plus years as a quadriplegic doing mighty things for the glory of God. And her, her line has been time and time again, you'd think she'd change a thing, but at this stage of her life, she's even said, I, I wouldn't necessarily change a thing because I know eternity's coming. Hmm. I'm more excited to see Christ, even though I get my whole body, I get a glorified body, I get my mobility back. Who knows what heaven will be like in the glorified body of First Corinthians 15. She has continued to say, I don't even know if I'll, I'll notice all that I have now in my body. I just want to see Jesus. He has become everything to me. That's such a great place to be, and I hope we all want to be in that state of mind. Yeah, I'll tell you a story quickly. I, I was in a uh, Christian bookstore. This was in the early 1980s, and I was talking to the bookstore owner about Johnny's new book that had just come out. And this bookstore owner was somebody who had been discipled in the Word of Faith movement. And he looked at Johnny's book, and he kind of shook his head, and he said, I wish she would just get glory for God and get up out of that wheelchair and walk as she she can do. And I thought to myself, he does not understand that Johnny, and, and she's demonstrated this through her life, she has got, she, she has demonstrated the glory of God in in such remarkable ways through her response to her suffering in ways that would have been, I mean, if she'd, if God had raised her out of the wheelchair and she'd gotten up and walked, uh, we'd have all gone, wow, that's a miracle. And some people would have said, well, here's a rational explanation for why that happened. But, but her perpetual response to suffering has probably brought more glory to God than if she'd been healed from her paralysis 50 years ago. Absolutely. The, the, the thing that we often don't realize is, you know, God will receive glory, no doubt, through a healing. And yet, do you know what is just otherworldly when it comes to perspective? What is downright weird? I've often said this to people, is, you know, Christianity is weird. And we're supposed to be weird. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to look like the world and look like the culture. We're supposed to be weird because we're not really from here. Peter calls <laughs> us sojourners. We're resident aliens, if you will. Uh Johnny, that, that's just weird that somebody would give glory to God, that they would have a ministry through their suffering. Yep. Bob, it's weird when you and I pray for healing. The healing doesn't happen, and then we still say, we will not stop praising you. We will not stop trusting you. You are God. Heaven is coming. We believe it. We're going there one day. That is faith. It's on display. And the world, whether they believe or not, they look and say, you know what? Man, they believe their faith. They believe that book, and they believe in this God that they can't see. Maybe there's something to this. And God will use that faith and that resilient praise to draw people to himself and to use us as a witness. So I'm not impressed as much, although I obviously want my son to be healed. And I know so many people that have experienced wonderful examples of healing and God working powerfully. But I'm not as impressed. Nobody should be that impressed if my son gets healed and we praise God. That's like par for the course. We're going to throw a party, and we're going to be shouting, and then we're going to move on with our life. But if we suffer and we praise God, that is power from another place. That's not my power or your power, Bob. That is the power of God being put on display in our weakness, and it attracts 
the unbeliever to this God they must know. Yeah, that's what causes your neighbor to scratch his head and go, wait, that that does not make sense. To rejoice in prosperity (laughs) makes sense. To rejoice in suffering doesn't. And that's what will cause people to to wonder and to be open to the claims of Christ. Kosti Hinn's been joining us this afternoon. His new book is called More Than a Healer, Not the Jesus You Want, But the Jesus You Need. It's out now. You can order it online. The ministry that he gives leadership to is called For the Gospel. You can find out more about that ministry at forthegospel.org. Kosti, thanks for taking time to join us this afternoon and talk about this and sharing your story and sharing the, the gospel with us this afternoon. Thank you so much, Bob. Keep up the great work. I appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you back tomorrow for another edition of uh, Southern California Live here on KKLA. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.